All right, so we're going to be in the book of Galatians tonight as we continue on through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We're in chapter 3 tonight, looking at verses 1 through 9, study I'm calling Stay the Course. So Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, and, and draw us near, Lord, as we sang better as one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere, Lord. And I was also reminded during that song of what David said concerning your word and how it's more precious than gold and, and you know, though, you know, more precious than anything um, that money can buy. And Lord, it's your inspired word. It's, it's your truth. It's how you navigate us through this life. It's how we have um, peace and, and joy and, Lord, and all the other great things, Lord, that you want to do in and through us. And so... Lord, as we come to it, Lord, we ask that you would um, speak to us, Lord, and equip us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question. Do you remember life without GPS? Anybody? Maybe you don't use GPS. Well, you know, God, God bless you. Now, I refuse to re- remember life without my good and wise friend, Todd. Now, who's Todd? I call the guy's voice on my Google Maps app, Todd. And so I... My kids think I'm crazy because I talk to him. Thanks, Todd. And, you know, he'll, he'll often remind me, rerouting, you know, and, and turn left here. Okay, Todd, I, I, I heard you. Now, Todd has proven himself a blessing many times. He's kept me on the right path, and he's gotten me to my desired location. Now, life before Todd was hard. <laughs> I almost consider it like a curse at times. Here's, here's some examples, and th- these are r- real examples. I'm just making fun of myself for a second. I took the wrong road one time on the way back from Pismo and ended up in King City. Had to, had to kind of re- reroute through the Klinga Hills there, you know. Little. And now there, there's, there's good reasons why I'm, these things happen, but anyways. So uh, one time we were heading to Disneyland, and I ended up in a not-so-nice part of L.A., how it got off the five, you know, <laughs> it happened. We were like, oh, okay, it's so rerouting here. And then the worst of all, my dad and all, all his friends are all big golfers, you know. So one time I was doing training there at North Island in San Diego. So we left Coronado to head to Horton Plaza, and I found myself in Torrey Pines Golf Course in, in La Jolla. And so, La Jolla, where's that, you know, kind of thing. And so, and so we... We ended up making our way back to Horton Plaza and stuff like that, and got those great Euros um, over there. So now, that was pretty bad, yes. The, the, this is all very bad, but the detours that the Galatians were on were even worse. They were being seduced by the false teachers to turn away from God's grace to the law. Now, Paul, in our passage this evening, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to present a defense for the gospel of grace in order to reroute them back to the correct path that leads to the spirit-filled life and blessing. So as we begin the second major section of the book of Galatians and see Paul's defense of the message of grace, we'll focus on two things tonight. Number one, the route to a spirit-filled life is by abiding in grace. And number two, the route to a blessed Christian life is by abiding in grace. And so first in verses one through five, we see the route to a spirit-filled life is by abiding in grace. Now, Paul, in beginning this chapter, uses two methods to present the gospel of grace to them. First, in verses 1 through 5, he shows them that their experience proves that it was illogical and foolish for them to turn from grace 
to the law. And he does this by showing six rhetorical questions. He asks him six questions. And these questions were the purpose of reminding him, hey guys, look, it's foolish for you to do this. Look at your own experience. Look at what God is doing in your life. You need to stay the course and God, you know, because God is continuing to work. So look at his first question here in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? And so the first question focuses on the believer's understanding of the Christ and his work on the cross. You see, Paul was shocked. He was shocked that his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ were acting so foolishly. Now, the word foolish means to be mentally lazy or careless. You see, these believers, they they knew the scriptures, but they were failing to use their knowledge of the scriptures to reject these false teachings that were coming their way. But rather than reject the false teachings, they were being bewitched by these false teachers. The word bewitched means to fascinate or to charm. It can be either by flattery, false promises, or some occult power. So it was like these believers were not in the right mind. They were turning away from the truth, this foundational teaching of the gospel. Paul's like, man, what, what's going on with you guys? Now, turning away, the turning away of the Galatians was not a lack of education, as I said. They knew the Bible, and Paul lets them know this here. Paul says at the end of this verse that not long ago he was there, and he clearly portrayed Jesus Christ as crucified to them. He clearly taught about Christ and his death on the cross and showed how the cross was all they needed for life, all they needed for righteousness. We did a series on the cross, and I, I, no doubt Paul did a, a similar thing in how he pointed to the cross of Christ and, show, and showed them, hey, listen, the law can't save, but only the cross, as Christ died as your sacrifice and substitute, can you be saved. Last week we learned that Paul said if anybody could add anything, if anyone could be saved a different way, then Christ died in vain. So they knew this, but yet they were failing to stay the course, they were seeking to go back to the law. They were seeking to turn to the law. Now, the first thing that we can take home and learn from this as we talk about staying the course and abiding the grace is legalism is a detour that leads to disobedience to the truth and it also tapes our eyes off Jesus. It places our eyes on a system and even worse, it places our eyes on ourselves. And that's what legalism always does is you start creating these different rules that are extra biblical what happens is, you know, you get into only focusing on the rules, you miss Jesus altogether. It becomes a religion. And, and sadly, you know, it, it distances you from the Lord. I mean, we see this in the other epistles that Paul wrote. The Colossians, you know, the same thing was happening to them. They were getting into all these different dietary laws. They were getting into all these rules. And Paul says, hey, you guys are missing the reality for the shadow. You know, it, it's like having a picture, you know, of your wife, but not wanting to be with her. And, and that's really what, what legalism does. It takes your eyes off Jesus to something else that, that's not really a man-made thing. So we need to just make sure that we just abide in grace, continue on in the spirit-filled life, the, the life of the spirit and walking in the word. Verse two, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And so Paul in this second question focuses on the salvation experience of these believers. He asked them, how are you guys born again? Was it while you were obeying the law? Or was it when you heard the gospel and you turned from your, sin and your sins and believed on Jesus? Well, the obvious answer was, it's when they believed the message of grace. Paul came there in Acts chapters 13 and 14 with Barnabas, and they 
preached the gospel there, and the believers' lives were changed. They were saved. They were born again the moment they believed. Now, how did these believers know they received the Holy Spirit when they believed? Well, I think Paul tells us in Galatians 5, 22 through 24, he gives us the true evidence of being born again. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And so these believers, they were walking in paganism at one time, and, and they heard the gospel, they believed in the gospel, and Christ changed your life. It was evident that Christ changed your life. They were no longer living after the flesh, the old appetites and desires for the world. Now where they were living this new life, love was coming forth from life. They were having peace and joy and long-suffering. As we're going to see, they were experiencing persecution, but they were still pressing forward. They were long-suffering. And so Paul takes them back to reality and says, okay, guys, let me ask you this. How are you saved? Well, by believing in Jesus. Well, then why would you want to turn back to the law? Why would you want to add anything to think that anything else can give you righteousness besides the gospel? Well, the same is true for you and I. You see, we were born again, and our lives were changed when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, because of this, we need to beware that we don't add any works to the simple gospel. And sadly, people do that. They say, oh, yeah, I'm saved, yes, but you also need to be baptized or be a member of the church, keep the law, speak in tongues, follow these rigid sets of do's and don'ts. And if you don't do these, well, then I don't know if you're saved or not. Some traditions say, well, if you don't keep the sacraments, if you don't continue on keeping the sacraments, well, then I know you believe in Jesus, but if you don't keep these things, well, then you're probably not saved. And, and Paul would ask them, well, that doesn't make any sense. How are you saved? By believing in Jesus. And so why would you want to add these other things to the gospel? They can't help you. They can't save you. They, they can't make you righteous. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So after establishing that these believers were saved by faith alone, Paul now hits them with this two-hit combo here, these two questions. The third question was he asked them is he reminded them of how foolish they were. He says, are you guys so foolish? That's the question. I, I, I like that question. What are you guys thinking kind of thing? And then, then he hits them with the fourth question. He asked them, by what basis um, do you believe that you're going to maintain your salvation and your righteous standing before God? That's really what he talked about. Is how do you guys think that you're going to maintain your righteous standing before God? He says, if you could not be saved by works, then why would you think that you have to go on and maintain your salvation now by works? And so the works of the law or any human effort cannot save a person, only the gospel. It's the only thing that God could offer in order to justify sinful man, the cross of Christ. God can't save us by works. The Bible says all of our works are like filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. And so we're, we're justified by faith. So if that's the case, well, then it's crazy to think that after being saved by faith, then we need to go on and continue to maintain our salvation or somehow keep ourselves righteous by how many things we do. No, we're saved by faith, we continue on by faith. We're saved by grace, we continue to walk in grace. And this is what Paul is um, talking about here. Later, Paul would write to the Romans in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and he would talk about the results of being saved. He would say, therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
to whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we, rejoice in, we, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so rather than the Bible teaching that we have to maintain our salvation by worst, the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible teaches that we're saved by grace and we stand in grace. And because we stand in grace, we can then rest and rejoice, knowing for a fact that we're gonna stand before the Lord. If it was based upon us and what we do, we couldn't rejoice, we couldn't rest, you know, because we'd have to continually be saved over and over and over and over. No, the Bible says no, we can have peace with God through our faith in Jesus. We can rest in that. We have access into God's grace and we stand in this grace. We can rejoice in tribulation and perseverance. Not only can we rest in grace, but we grow in grace. Grace is like a fertile soil to our soul. You know, it's, it's, like, it's, you know, it's like that amazing bag stuff. You know, you buy at the store and it seems like you stick it in, it grows a big old Costco potato, a big old GMO kind of thing. You're like, whoa, huh? you know, where'd that come from? kind of thing. You know, that, that's what God's grace is to us as a believer. Yes, we rest in it, but man, we, we grow in it. Because legalism, you, you don't grow in legalism. It separates you from God. But grace, it motivates, it, 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 it you know, it, it leads, it, it encourages, and we grow. Now, it's rightly been said that we do not do good works to be loved or blessed by God, but we do good works because we are loved and blessed by God. It's, it's the other way around. As, as humans, we think, okay, I need to work real hard and do good things, and then finally God will love me and, and bless me. And the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible teaches because we are blessed, because we are loved, that's why we do these things. It's, it's a response to who God is and all that he's done. That's why when Paul writes his letters, for example, Ephesians, he always starts with what God has done for them, chapters one through three talked about their great salvation. And then chapter four, Paul says, okay, now walk worthy of the Lord and his calling for you. Romans is the same thing. In chapters one through 11, Paul talked about our salvation, all that God has done for him. Then in chapter 12, Paul says, now I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, all that he said, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. It's always our response. As lovers, we respond to Christ who is our bridegroom. Verse four, have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. So false, Paul's uh, fifth question has to do with the persecution that these believers in Galatia experienced because of their faith in Jesus. Paul asked them concerning their suffering for the gospel, was it for no reason? Was it without a purpose? So here's what I believe Paul's saying. You see, the Judaizers came in and they were teaching these Gentiles that unless they kept the law and the males were circumcised, they couldn't be saved. But the problem is, is that these believers were persecuted for the gospel before these guys came. So if that was the case, then were they suffering as non-believers? And if you're suffering as a non-believer for the name of Christ, what does that do for you? It doesn't do anything. You're not going to get a reward in heaven. You're not going to go to heaven, <laughs> you know? And so that's, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, guys, if you're saved by the law, then so what's, good of all, you know, what's the good of all your suffering? What's the purpose of it? You're not going to receive a crown for it. But these believers knew that they were suffering for Christ. They knew, which was taught by Paul and Jesus, that all those who live godly 
will suffer persecution. They, they weren't shocked by it. It was really an evidence that God was living through them, that God was living in them. Verse 5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So here's Paul's sixth question here. It was concerning the present experience of God working in and through them in their church and also in the community. You see, these believers were like conduit in which the Spirit of God was flowing through to bless and touch others in and through their church. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were going on, continuing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was all coming from God. He was supplying the Spirit to them. Notice, God was even working miracles through normal believers. And so, you know, so God was continuing to work miracles here, which shows you that, you know, not just the apostles did miracles. Normal believers, you know, were, God was able to gift with the gifts of, of miracles here. So he was doing this great work. So Paul asked them, why was God doing this great work? Was it because you guys were keeping the law or saved by the law, or was it because you believed the gospel by faith alone? And the obvious answer was because they believed the gospel. I like that. Notice this. The basis by which a believer is used mightily by God is because of God's grace in our faith in the gospel. This, this, I, this you know, makes me excited. I like that. Now, yes, we should give ourselves fully over to the work of the Lord. We should be prepared for the work of the Lord to be effective. You know, we also must stay away from sin because sin, it's like weights on our feet as, as we try to run the race. It's going to hinder us. But that aside, the basis by which God is going to work in our life and use us in the world is just because we believe in Jesus. It has nothing to do with, with how great we think we are. You see, yes, God has blessed men like Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, Billy Graham, and we can go on and on and on. And often we look at these guys and think, man, if I can just be as spiritual as Chuck. Now, Chuck is spiritual. I mean, you know, I mean, when you just think Chuck Smith, it's like, man, I, you just know he's spiritual. But, and, you know, then I think, man, if I can just be as spiritual as Chuck Smith, if I can just oh, pause more, you know, kind of thing. And then maybe God will do a good work through me. And the Lord says, no, that, that's not why I do a good work through Chuck. I do a good work through Chuck because of my grace. And, you know, because of, because of my spirit, because, you know, of, of who I am. And so that, that's why God uses people. He uses people because he's good and because we, we put our simple faith in him. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, I love it. He, he wrote to them and says, hey, guys, why do you guys boast in your gifts as if you received it? You know, as if you worked for it, you know, kind of thing. He says, you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you as a gift. So therefore, we must be humble and, and glory in the Lord because it's all based upon Christ's grace and, and, and the cross by which God does anything in our life. So if we were to summarize these questions, I think we can have a pretty good list of the fruits of a dynamic, spirit-filled Christian life. Think about it. Paul talked about knowing Christ and him crucified. He talked about having your life transformed by the gospel. He talked about growing spiritually. He talked about rejoicing in suffering and seeing an eternal purpose in your suffering. And finally, he talked about experiencing God's power and spiritual gifts through your lives. Like, wow, I want those things. So what is the five-step program to these things? How do I, you know, what works do I have to do? Paul says to the Galatians, abiding grace. That's the path. If Todd was to talk and navigate me or Paul, he'd say, stay, stay on the course, right turn here, you know? Road 265 or whatever kind of thing. 
Paul says, hey, stay the course. Abide, abide in grace. God's working in your life. He's going to continue to work in your life. What is it really to abide in grace? Well, I don't think it means to just let go and let God. To abide in grace is obviously much more than that. We need to obey the word. We need to look to it as our authority and not man. We need to walk in the spirit and not in human effort. But, you know, but, you know, but yes, it, it does begin with recognizing the fact that I am righteous and God works in my life just by you know, knowing the fact that it's Jesus and him crucified you know, and God's spirit that works in and through us. And so we're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It will produce good works as we continue to walk in the spirit. So now we come to our second point in verses 69. We see the route to a blessed Christian life is by abiding in grace. You see, the experience of the believers was great. It was a good defense, but it could not be the final defense. Paul now in verses 69 points to the Old Testament to show that salvation and God's blessings were always, you know, were always have been and always will be um, by God's grace through faith alone. Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Paul points back to Abraham, the father of faith. His life is described in the book of Genesis. We had a study on that here, um, BFF. You can look it up and good study as we talked about the life of Abraham. Now, maybe these false teachers were going in to the church and talking about Abraham. You see, God gave Abraham the sign of the covenant that he made with him, which was circumcision. So maybe they came in and said, hey, guys, we're following the sign of Abraham. We're, we're following you know, in the steps of our father Abraham. We're following, you know, God's law. But Paul says otherwise. Paul says that they can't use that argument because the Bible teaches that Abraham was not saved by the works, uh, by his works or by any ritual, but he was saved by faith. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, what shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So Paul clearly says once again, Galatians is kind of like a little Romans. Paul says once again, hey, Abraham wasn't saved by works. If he was saved by works, he'd have something to boast about. But he was saved by grace through faith alone. Paul went on later in Romans chapter 4. Verses 9 through 12, and says the following. He said, now does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness may be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had, had while still uncircumcised. Well, that's a lot of times you can use that word, you know, <laughs> in one statement. So Paul's making very clear on what he's saying kind of here. And so, uh, no, but Paul's, Paul's very clear on what he's saying. Obviously, these people, circumcision was a requirement of the Jewish law. And it was how they would convert over to the law. These males would go under this, and then, and then they would keep the law from there. But Paul points back to Abraham and says, hey, well, listen, look at Abraham. 
God gave him this seal, this sign, in chapter 17, but in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, which Paul quotes in our passage and also in Romans, he was justified by faith. And so he was saved before he received this rite, before he received this ritual, which shows us that a person is saved by grace through faith alone, even in the Old Testament. And next week, as we look at Paul's argument, he talks about Habakkuk and how he talks about how the just shall live by faith. So even under what we call the dispensation of the law, people are still saved by faith alone. Abraham, in this time of promise, was saved by faith alone. Um, even uh, under the law, people are saved by faith alone. Yeah, now, God would give the law as a standard for, for righteousness in which, you know, for the Israelites to live. But salvation throughout the entire Old Testament, whether you're talking about Abraham or David, has always been by grace through faith alone and not by works. Verse 7, Paul's application. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, Paul's not saying that all Christians, even Gentiles, are Jews because they believe in Jesus. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying they are spiritual sons of Abraham because we follow his example. This is similar, I think, to what Jesus said to the Pharisees when he says, yeah, you guys are of your father, the devil. Because the, father, because the devil was a murderer, and even so the Pharisees were murderers. They were following his example, his evil ways. In the same way as we follow Abraham's example and walk and abide in grace, and then we're in good company. We're following after the, our, the father of faith. Verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And so the scripture that Paul refers to is the promise that God gave Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12. God promised that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That blessing would come through Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. The recipients would be all nations, whosoever would believe. And so this was really a prophecy that Gentiles would receive a share in the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic covenant through Jesus Christ. You know, and so we've been, we've been grafted in, as Paul said um, in, in Romans uh, chapter 11. And so through the gospel, you and I are blessed by, um, by believing in Jesus. Verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So notice, all who, are Abraham's, all who follow Abraham's example in abiding grace are blessed. So people say, oh man, I want to live a blessed Christian life. Okay, well then follow the example of Abraham, abiding grace. You see, we are blessed as Christians. We're spiritually blessed because we have this relationship with God. Jesus says you and I are friends of God, just as Abraham was called the friend of God many times in scriptures. Three times he's called the friend of God. And now because of our faith in Jesus, we're now friends of God. God's our friend. He's not our enemy. We don't have to hide from him. Even more closely, you and I are called the bride of Christ. That's even more intimate. So not only are we friends with God, but we're the bride of Christ. And so, you know, and so it shows how even much more we're blessed that we don't have to be afraid of God. We can just rest and, and know that the Lord loves us and, and cares for us and, and, and wants to um, minister to us. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So yes, our relationship is blessed, but we're also, you know, we also have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. 
And so this means that God wants to bless us. And so we don't have to work for his blessing. God wants to bless us. And so now, does he give us a Lexus that we want just because we want it? Well, no, obviously not. God is still sovereign. He has a plan for our life. But every good thing that God has for us, he, he'll give us. That's why the Bible says ask. You know, and, and asking, you'll receive. And John goes on and says, yeah, if you ask anything according to God's will, he'll give it to you. And so God wants to bless us. And so we just need to, to rest in that and, and recognize that and, and stop trying to work for it. And just, and just obey the Lord and, and, and work as a result of that blessing. So in closing, if your destination on your GPS is a spirit-filled life and a blessed Christian life, well, then you need to follow Paul's directions in abiding grace. Amen?